0: warehouses strive to keep pace with relentless demands for getting product out the door. How can we keep warehouse workers safe? Hi everybody, I'm Bob Bowman, Editor-in-Chief of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. Injury rates at Amazon.com warehouses reportedly are far in excess of the industry average, with certain facilities chalking up 20 or more injuries per 100 workers. What's going on here? Should working in one of these massive fulfillment centers be considered hazardous duty? And how can we make all warehouses, not just those of Amazon, safe for workers? On this episode, we address the problem with the help of Joe Schlosser, Senior Director of ISN. We'll learn which types of injuries are most prevalent, why and where they occur, and what must be done to stop them. It's a complex issue, touching on warehouse labor standards, worker training programs, the challenge of staffing up during peak periods, and, for better or worse, automation. How do we achieve a safety-first mindset in the warehouse? Here is my conversation with Joe Schlosser. Joe Schlosser, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, Bob. Thanks for having me.
0: Joe, we are seeing some unsettling statistics about injuries in Amazon warehouses. Of course, Amazon isn't the only place where these are happening, but specifically, stats that show us that injuries in Amazon warehouses are far in excess of the industry average. And that may or may not be tied to the increase in the number of workers during peak seasons, Describe for me the problem as you see it. What's going on here?
1: Yeah, Bob, thanks for asking. I think um, part of this is obviously due to kind of increased workloads. People are working in tight quarters with increased work demands. And there's also an increase in outsourcing and potential contractor use, which I think can also complicate some of those operations. And you add some work pressures and time pressures with an increase in people. There's also the consideration for some of these new controls that we put in place with respect to COVID. That could be causing some of these potential increases in incidents. And it's common that we see that with other pressures related to the work, like getting more work done quickly, or uh, sacrificing some of the safety precautions to get the job done
0: interesting you should say the covid controls might be one cause of this because i would have thought instinctively it would be the other way around covid controls require social distancing and so your workers are not as close (laughs) to one another as they and they're not getting in each other's way so you're saying that isn't the case
1: yeah it's an interesting thought bob i think we have heard a lot from our customers with conversations that COVID has actually decreased safety incidents because there's been a heightened awareness around health and safety in general. There's certainly an increase in awareness when you're introducing new protocols and programs that get people to go a little bit slower and think about the work that they're performing. But those types of controls can wane, obviously, as people become more accustomed to these new controls With respect to Amazon, and I I can't speak specifically to Amazon, but in general, I think the thought would be that with increased amounts of workers and some new protocols and other things that are creating some confusion and also maybe just more congestion, you could imagine that that would lead to some potential safety concerns or hazards.
0: What kinds of injuries are we talking about here?
1: I guess in general, I think there's probably runs the gamut. I certainly could see more the kind of bumps and bruises, the types of things that end up becoming recordables. But we have seen across industrial industries, not just in a manufacturing distribu- or distribution sense, that there has been an increase in more serious incidents. And this is of utmost concern to our customers about how to drive down these serious incidents. And and I think this is something that a lot of our health and safety professionals are keenly focused on driving down. But it's been challenging because many of the things that they have done historically to control incident rates, the bumps and bruises, haven't worked And those methods haven't applied as well to the serious ones.
0: And as you say, a lot more than bumps and bruises in some cases. Again, not to hit on Amazon specifically, but Mm. (laughs) there was this one Amazon warehouse in DuPont, Washington, where in 2019, there were 22.4 serious injuries per 100 workers. That's huge. That's way in in excess of industry averages. What do you think is going on there? If not in DuPont specifically, but what would would be causing that huge number?
1: Yeah. Again, I can't speculate exactly, but I would say possible concerns over the number of Workers, particularly new contract workers or temporary employees that are filling spots with less experience performing the work, uh, working alongside other workers, I think some of the longer hours and time pressures could be leading to fatigue and potentially oversight in some of the safety protocols. Typically, what I see and what I hear from our customers and safety professionals is that It generally isn't a lack of process. The process works if you follow it. It's typically a deviation from process that leads to safety hazards and injuries. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. to the extent that these deviations are happening and being tolerated, allowing these injuries to happen, I think that's really at the cause of it. And it's about how management and the teams work to respond. And obviously that's not Amazon specifically, but really any work site.
0: Yeah, you walk into any respectable warehouse and you're going to see safety messages all over the place, hard hats and requirements for being careful and stuff like that. So certainly, as you say, they don't lack for the effort at least, but maybe it's, it's, it's how much they follow them. But, Also, I'm wondering what kinds of warehouses, the word warehouse can connote so many different things. I mean, in the case of Amazon alone, we have sortable warehouses, we have large item warehouses, we have receive centers. Each of these is rather distinctly different in what they do. Do you know whether any particular type of warehouse is more susceptible to a higher rate of serious injury?
1: I don't know specifically, Bob, but I think my speculation would be a lot of the concerns that we typically hear around serious incidents relate to transportation and then operating equipment within space confined spaces. Those are two of the, the most common things that we see. Probably the third one that I'll add on is also falling from heights. So you could imagine that a lot of those apply across the gamut of distribution and warehousing facilities. However, some jobs have more of that type of work than others. The scenario, as an example, could be a a worker walking outside of a specific boundary and walking into somebody moving large amounts of material with a forklift. That kind of scenario you could see happening all day, every day. And if you're looking at your phone or if you're walking outside of the prescribed area or you're not paying attention as a forklift operator, you could see how some of that, uh, an incident could ensue from there.
0: To get back to this idea of perhaps more injuries during peak season when warehouses have to bring on a lot more temporary labor, ideally, or I would assume that means that these workers coming in are not as well-trained as the permanent staff and that that opens up a, a facility to problems. Is that correct?
1: I think it's possible. Certainly, you could make a clear argument that they're less familiar with the facility, which is a component of the training and orientation. And I think that's probably one of the key things is making sure that you're taking the time to train and orient new workers around the work environment. And I think there's a reciprocal piece to that as well, in that that the employees also need to feel comfortable and understand how they're going to operate around these new workers and how they're going to help and so all of that really leads to a safety culture, and it's why probably you see certain businesses or certain locations vastly outperform from a safety performance. Other areas is because there's sort of an inherent culture within those environments that lead to better safety performance, and just things like training and orientation and working with changes in variability, which are going to happen, they, they're able to sort of receive that and manage that much better than maybe others.
0: I want to ask you about automation and specifically, at first, robotics, Mm -hmm. to the the degree to which it might be a solution to the problem or the problem itself. How does a more highly automated warehouse work in terms of the potential for worker injury? Do you see patterns or trends there?
1: I think there's some encouraging trends just based on my purview. I mean, certainly you can look at point at manufacturing where early days of robotics were hazardous. If you happen to enter near a robotic arm or a large manufacturing automation process and get entangled, it led to a lot of human injuries. There's enhancements that are being done, certainly with robotics, around being able to kind of cooperate or cohabitate work environments without as much danger. But they're certainly less known than we probably want to with some of these new enhancements into the warehousing and distribution space and how people can work alongside these. But one of the key controls is you probably are aware from a safety method is to eliminate the hazard. That's probably the best method for avoiding incidents is not necessarily like putting controls, but eliminating the human interaction with that hazard. And to the extent that robotics or automation could eliminate or or remove the need for that human to interact, that's a positive. However, if you're asking these individuals to adjust to working alongside some of this automation, they're certainly, uh, one could foresee certain things going wrong.
0: In fact, we have the phrase cobots, collaborative Mm -hmm. robots, which by definition mean that a person is working next to that unit. We also hear that these units are today equipped with extremely sensitive systems that prevent collisions, that alert them when they're getting near a person or or a rack or another machine. Can we depend on that type of technology, that proximity-detecting technology, as a means of at least reducing the number of potential injuries from collision?
1: I would be optimistic that it's possible, but I think part of it is what your tolerance is for acceptance. A good example or parallel is the autonomous vehicles. So what level of safety are we willing to tolerate if we have 99.99% success? Certainly, that's better than humans driving a vehicle, but is that acceptable for the outlying fatality or injury? And I think that's where safety becomes really a, little, a lot more tricky than maybe your traditional manufacturing or performance statistics. It's easy to look at an aggregate. It's hard to look at it when you're getting close to the individual impacted.
0: It's also the image you know, with, with autonomous vehicles on the road, with self-driving vehicles, we are tolerant to an extent of thousands of deaths a year caused by humans behind the wheel. But if one self-driving vehicle kills us one person, that that's becomes a huge news story. So I, I'm guessing that the same dynamic holds true in a warehouse situation, right?
1: I think that's a great point, a perfect example.
0: We're looking also at the transformation of of what constitutes a warehouse today. We're seeing more warehouses being located in urban centers, closer to customers of e-commerce orders. Does that have anything to do with injury rates, with safety and the like? the outlying, perhaps rural, gigantic fulfillment center versus a smaller, more intense facility located in the smack dab in the middle of an urban center?
1: I think it does. I would imagine a lot of the variability that comes with operating in a metro area where you have more traffic, you have... More congestion, you have potential routes that are changing due to the roads being shut down or traffic concerns. Traffic itself—if you could have put yourself in the seat of a driver who's handling this transportation, this last mile—and they're trying to complete work or they're being paid or compensated based on the work that's completed—and they're delayed via traffic—you could imagine them potentially being incentivized to take shortcuts or mm-hmm. to speed or to do things that would we would deem unsafe. Now, certainly technology has helped in tracking and measuring and understanding transportation, but I think there's a long way to go with respect to transportation specifically. And that, to me, continues to be probably the largest safety concern with respect to the distribution and delivery of goods that we're seeing with Amazon and all these other types of businesses.
0: Yeah, I mean, we're not even talking about the possibility of injuries to take place outside the warehouse during a so-called last mile delivery. That's another issue entirely. But I guess right. we're, I guess we're staying within the four walls for purposes of this discussion. What do you think? Now, again, you said before, and I think it's a good point that maybe the problem isn't so much the rules themselves as it is adherence to them. What do you think about worker training programs and worker awareness programs as they exist in warehouses today? Are they sufficient? How can they be improved?
1: I do think, Bob, that training programs always need improvement. I think this is something that organizations need to continuously evaluate, and there's constantly new information that's coming in related to worker performance, incidents, and other things. The best programs that we see have a continuous improvement culture, and that's really fundamental to many of the ISO 45001 or safety management system programs is how do you continue to inform and learn and improve things like training. A few things that I would suggest are specific to training that I think are opportunities is one, to make sure that you consider not only the direct employees, but also the contractor workers or temporary workers identify ways to kind of engage them. Uh, Certainly, virtual training is a good opportunity. And I know that doesn't sound like new technology, but many businesses still try to orient and train people on their first day with a TV monitor. A lot of that can be done uh, with the use of a platform or through third parties in advance to get workers prepared for what they're going to see. And I think part of it is making sure that you're also investing employees and contractors in a way to understand what each other know them in each other's environment. So making sure that employees know that contractors or temp workers are coming on and these are their qualifications and you can feel safe and we vetted them, as well as uh, contractors knowing that they're going to be working alongside employees and have clear understanding or orientation on these work sites. There's certainly uh, some opportunity to improve there.
0: And then finally, we also hear that one of the big causes of worker injuries is the relentless standards, performance standards being put on workers in warehouses to the so-called machine pace labor standards. Do you think that's a problem, and do you think that warehouse operations need to reconsider what they're demanding from their employees in terms of minute-by-minute productivity that might help to alleviate some of the injury rates?
1: I could certainly foresee that being part of the issue and something that needs to be addressed. What I would advise for businesses is to make sure that they have kind of simple fundamentals like managing by walking around the old adage of getting close to the front line. I think having a process and method for the front line to be able to communicate concerns, issuing a very clear and supported stop work authority. So anytime a worker is operating in a place where they don't feel safe, every worker has the right to stop work. And not only is that encouraged but that you reinforce that behavior as a positive thing versus potentially being something where there's reprimand for that. Generally, the front line has the ability to report concerns and management needs to be aware of the level of reporting so that they can understand. I don't think there's a ivory tower where leadership is trying to turn up the Production Act level to the point where people are unsafe. I think it's just a thing where the lines of communication break down and there's not clear understanding of what's happening in the
0: front line. Well, those are some great tips, Joe, for helping us to understand the problem of injuries in warehouses today and some of the steps that can be taken in order to lessen those numbers. So, Joe Schlosser of ISN, thank you so much for being with me today. Really appreciate it.
1: My pleasure, Bob. Thanks for having me.
0: That was my conversation with Joe Schlosser of ISN talking about the critical issue of warehouse workers' safety. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. Stay well and see you next time.